All right, great. Thanks, man. Good morning, guys. Welcome to Hiawatha. My name's Chris. I'm one of the pastors here. As Ellen said before, if you're new or newish to our church, I want to especially uh, say welcome to you. Glad you guys uh, are here. Today, we are uh, right now in a series in 1 Timothy, which we're wrapping up in two weeks, I think, from now. So uh, three sermons left. Um, so if you're just joining, uh, that's, that's fine. There's still a lot of good, uh, good stuff here in the remaining weeks, but I'll catch you up a little bit for where we've been. 1 Timothy is one of the pastoral letters of the New Testament where the Apostle Paul writes to a, a kind of a younger protege, uh, younger pastor in training. In this case, his name is Timothy, of course, uh, who are, is remaining behind in Ephesus, the city of Ephesus, to pastor the church there. It's kind of historical what's going on uh, with that. But the letter has to do with just encouraging him, uh, just sort of shaping how uh, he should teach, how he should prioritize teaching, how he should defend against false doctrine that sort of uh, trespasses in the church and in our hearts at times, how to stand guard on the wall and to speak against things that aren't true, but to really uphold uh, things that are and to point people to grace uh, time and time and time again through Jesus Christ. Um, there's, a, there's a practical dimension of the book as well, too, for all of us as Christians, uh, but especially for pastors. So I've been kind of stepping aside a little bit uh, here and there, talking right to the pastors in the room, myself included, but there is a wide range in application here for all of us who call the church home because a lot of it has to do with the church. Uh, what, is, what is the church and what does it look like to gather like we are this morning? That's in the book as well. Uh, he, he skirts that a number of times and kind of delves into that, and as well as behavior in the church. That's from chapter 3. Um, lots of very practical, maybe even you might think oddly specific things, but I hope that you're seeing that, that God really cares about the church, that what we're doing is not indiscriminate or random, uh, but everything, you know, from what I'm doing here right now in preaching to how we gather throughout the week in community groups to eating meals together uh, to talking about doctrine, uh, you know, and how we... Uh, how we lead churches, our church polity, um, how we care for, a couple weeks ago, uh, widows, those who are helpless in the church and alone. It's not just widows, but um, people who are alone. How, how do we address that? How do we, how do we prioritize that? Um, and I'm just scratching the surface. This book has really done kind of a, a lot of that. It also talks uh, from the big picture. It talks a lot about Jesus. I've, I've said this a lot. I'll say it again. When we talk about pastors, we talk about Jesus because he is a pastor. He is the chief pastor. He's the ultimate pastor or overseer uh, of our souls, as the Bible says in multiple places. And so if he self-identifies as a pastor and then says, I want under-shepherds or under-pastors who are human beings to, to, to pastor the flock of God, then when we talk about one, you kind of, by definition, talk about the other. And I would also say, uh, today we're going to talk about caring for workers. We talked about widows and two weeks ago, caring for pastors last week, and today is caring for people who have jobs, which I'll talk more about that in a second, but we talk about care for the church, we're really talking about God's care for the church. You, there's an in, there is an inextricable relationship between the two things, without which these passages become just rules. So my invitation for you guys, uh, if you're new to this or if you've done this a million times in your life, it's the same, and that is to see Jesus in these otherwise... Um, you know, uh, practical, heavy kind of passages that sometimes fall at the end of these New Testament letters. Uh, and care today has much to do with teaching and exhortation, uh, even though pastors, of course, as well as the church, cares physically for each other uh, too. Uh, care today has to do with Paul saying, this is what I want you to say to people who have jobs and who have bosses. So again, really specific, but kind of cool it's in here, right? Because most of us do. Most of us will work for people 
Some of us will, will be supervisors ourselves and be bosses ourselves. Uh, many of us will, will, will have jobs. And so um, this, this is basically saying what does that look like through the Christian worldview. So let's read uh, from verse 1. So we're in chapter 6 today, verses 1 to 2a, just a, a verse and a half today, really short passage. So let's read it all in full to begin. Verse 1. Let all who are under a yoke as bondservants regard their own masters as worthy of all honor, so that the name of God and the teaching may not be reviled. Those who have believing masters must not be disrespectful on the ground that they are brothers. Rather, they must serve all the better, since those who benefit by their good service are believers and beloved. All right, so a little more context. I was kind of saying this, but one of the things that happened early in the first century, as you might expect when the church was growing, was being established and growing, was that people became Christians who had jobs. Uh, And they were many times servants in homes or estates, and sometimes their masters, as it says here, just think bosses. Sometimes they were Christians, and sometimes they weren't. And either way, probably because it was so commonplace to be in this in this space for Christians, it created a type of dynamic that Paul wanted Timothy to speak to in his church as he helped people understand that practical dimension to how the gospel intersects with life. Okay, so it's kind of like the, the, the contextual idea is basically that. Now, as I talked about this a couple, of, a couple of years ago, which I barely remember, so you probably don't remember this. This is pre-pandemic, which... None of us can barely remember these days. But I talked about this a couple of years ago when we preached the book of Philemon, which is another New Testament letter written to an individual. Some of you know know this book and what it's about. But I said this then, I'll say it here. It's important to remember that, that this is not slavery as we understand it today. And so some of your English translations don't say bond servant, it says slave. Uh, so don't get too hung up on that. Uh, th- this is not the, the same thing. Uh, were people now living on this side of the transatlantic slave trade in the Civil War, uh, obviously, historically speaking? Uh, but this is not slavery or bond servantness uh, in, in that regard. This was more of a lower-class job that was very common in Greco-Roman culture that very, very many people uh, had most of their lives, if not their whole life. Now, that doesn't mean it was always okay or that masters were always these great people who treated their bondservants with respect all the time, nor does it mean that Paul was completely condoning it as a social structure in every way, but he also doesn't forbid it and doesn't dismantle it, but instead calls Timothy to teach the Christians in his church how to live within it in a godly way in a gospel-centered way because, and as we'll talk about later, but please hear this for now, the gospel of Jesus Christ is not the dismantling of social structures or hierarchies, but the good news that Jesus Christ died on a cross for our sins. Okay, if you you hear anything in this context today, hear that. Let us set the stage for what I'm going to say later. I'm going to say it again. so important. The gospel is not the dismantling of social structures or hierarchies, but the good news that God became man in order to die in our place on a cross for our sins 2,000 years ago. Now, when I say it like that, I hope it does kind of sound like apples and oranges. They are very, very different, but people all the time like to do this and mush them together in a type of apple-orange fruit juice or something. It's, it's not that, okay? And I'll come back to that later on, but if that's true, it greatly shapes how we read passages like this, not just in this letter, but they're kind of strewn throughout the New Testament in a lot of ways because 
it's real life, it's history. People had jobs, people had employees, people went to work uh, all the time. And, so, and, the, and the gospel is so relevant that it should intersect with this area of life. And, and in fact, it does in as much as it draws us back to Christ. Let me read uh, from Ephesians 6, 5 to 6. I uh, sort of alluded to this before. This is another version of the same type of teaching from another one of Paul's letters, this time written to the city that Timothy is pastoring in. Okay, so it's kind of a double whammy. Paul's writing to the whole church here about this matter, and in 1 Timothy, just to Timothy, but so it's kind of coming from uh, both angles. But here he says, same thing, bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ. Okay, note that, as you would Christ. Not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. Okay, see what he's doing there? This starts to get at the point. Uh, notice how he's connecting earthly masters and Jesus. There is a symbolic relationship between the two that is important for us to see as Christians, or if you're not a Christian yet, too, to understand the, the Christian worldview here. Uh, as we relate, though, to those in authority over us, uh, really on any level, this is talking about jobs today, but it could be applied elsewhere, too. But as hard as this might be to hear, and, and as much as our culture loves to push back on this, the Bible teaches the importance of the role of submission and how it plays out in every Christian's life on a daily basis in different uh, types of relationships. Uh, to each other, mutually. Ephesians 5 says to the church, submit to each other, put each other first, uh, defer to each other in general, and then to those in authority over us in a particular way in the church and just out in the world, whether they're Christians or not. Because uh, they might be, like this is saying today, in some cases they will be. You'll be underneath the care or the authority or the employ of a Christian, and in some cases they won't be Christians. They might even be hostile to Christianity, a very, very much against it. Uh, and so how do you act? Uh, what's the best way to honor God and to act in those uh, types of situations? All right, so all that is to kind of set up and to kind of give some qualifications, some definitions, some historical context uh, to what's going on. But basically, the passage today is about pastors caring for workers in your church. Uh, and then all of us as workers or just as people who will at, at some point in our life uh, have someone in authority over us, whether it's when you're a kid and it's your mom and dad, or whether it's, uh, you know, a boss or uh, in the church setting, a, an elder or a pastor or a mentor or something like that, or it could be a teacher in a school setting. I mean, the list goes on. So I kind of want to widen it here today purposefully because elsewhere the Bible does widen it, even though here it's a little bit more narrow in, in 1 Timothy. So I'm going to widen in, or sorry, uh, widen out in one sense, but then look at it from the, with the language from 1 Timothy's perspective and say, this is about caring for workers. But basically, it breaks it down into two things, right? Um, when we have Christian bosses and when we don't. That's basically kind of how he breaks it down with the two verses. So we'll start with the first side, which is when we have non-Christian bosses. Um, basically, here he's saying, I'm paraphrasing, but work respectfully, have a good work ethic, be fair. This is the spirit of the idea, be fair. Don't defraud or cheat your employers in any way. Then I'm quoting the passage. So that the name of the Christian God and the teaching may not be reviled. The core teaching of the faith may not be contradicted in how you live. 
That's the idea. The name of the Christian God and the core of Orthodox Christian teaching may not be contradicted in the way that you act and live and submit and respect and pray for and be kind to and all these, all these things up here and more. All right, so that's a pretty obvious kind of practical thing that maybe the majority of you might have guessed walking in here this morning. Still good to remember. Uh, as we bracket that to the side, though, not, you know, entirely, but, but slightly, and ask the even better question, like, why is this here? And where's theology in this idea? I think that we start to get to questions or statements like, if an employer knows his employee is a Christian, what is he or she seeing in the employee? And I think it's interesting that the teaching is mentioned here uh, as well, which of course refers to the gospel, the, the core essence of Christian orthodoxy is that Jesus was the son of God who died on a cross for you and me. That's the teaching. There's more to say, of course, about what the Bible says and about you know, the, the essence, the top drawer issues of Christian belief. But that's the teaching as Paul knows it here and as Paul's writing about it. That's the teaching where, where Timothy is tasked with just teaching that. Yes, in different ways, twist that diamond in the light, say it over and over and over again as if it's daily bread or manna like Israel in the desert, if you know that story, to eat every single day, all right? But it's possible for the teaching to be reviled and contradicted um, where Paul's saying you've got to guard, guard against that. But, I, but I'd say this. With that in mind, to work hard and to treat a boss with respect, honoring him or her, is not, so this is where the theology comes in, is not just the right thing to do. It is, as Ephesians 6 talks about, a nod to how we obey Christ, which in turn is a nod to the principle of grace. All right, in other words, we submit to our bosses, we show our submission to Christ, which is to say we submit to his work, his power above us, his love, his powerful will that works salvation for us rather than to try and add to it or usurp it ourselves. The, the inverse of that statement would be to say to not submit to our bosses is to subtly suggest that we don't submit to God's grace. We seek to work for our salvation, to climb the ladder, to become our own lords and kings and queens and uh, to work, to climb, to ascend, to go up, when in fact the Bible says God came down, all right? So this is what we, we don't think this, of course, and everyone in the room, myself included, has not done this well, and so whether we have a Christian boss or not, but, but just saying um, none of us have done this well, and so what, what happens when we don't do that well is we subtly say it, we suggest or put forth a wrong story or a, a wrong doctrine with our actions, and that is that we're saved by works, what we do, and not by grace, which, of course, is, is the flip, all right? The other side of the coin, though, of that would be to say that respect in the workplace also reflects well on the gospel in the sense that when we work hard for someone else, we are the ones as the workers who reflect Jesus, how he is the one who worked hard for us, how he didn't defraud or cheat us out of anything. How he sweated blood at Gethsemane before his crucifixion for us and stayed up all night praying. How he gave up his life for our sake. How he became the servant, right? So we'll talk more about this, but the Bible talks about Jesus in both master and bondservant terms. 
He is the master and that he's Lord of all, and he's the servant that he came underneath you to serve you by washing your feet. Dying in your place, he served you and me. See how he's both? He's the high one who came low. He's the one way up there we couldn't get to, so he came down and descended to hell on earth and just swam in our sins and died on the cross in our place. That's the Christian gospel. Understand it that way, you start talking about and interacting with like workplace language and just going to work every day, you start to talk in gospel terms sometimes without realizing it. And as Christians, I think um, we can be nuanced, we can be wise, we can be careful, not just how we talk, but with how we act in these, in these places. I, I feel this uh, principle every time someone, now if you guys have this person in your life, I have a couple people in my life who do this. Um, which I won't name. It's a good thing, so I wouldn't be slandering them by saying it. But where people, I have a couple people in my life who are perennial plate takers away from me, if that makes sense, where they always like clean my plate for me when I'm at a table. You know, one person's in my family, one person's just a friend. Um, and and they always, they're always quick to say, are you done? Let me get that. And I'm like, dude, I like, it, 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 so it makes me feel bad almost in one sense, which is a hard issue of, of mine I have to work on. That's not the point. He's not trying to, to do that, but he's all, it always like, you're, you always do this, <laughs> and this is, a, this is a random, I know, a specific thing, kind of outside of the job context, but for me, when that happens, I think every single time it happens, almost, without fail, I think that's really Jesus in that moment to me, that's a means of grace. That action of taking my plate away and serving me in that way um, points me to him. It points me even just briefly to how Jesus came to me with an act of, in you, with an act of service, not a list of rules to keep. And maybe some of you are hearing that for the first time. When Jesus came into the world, he came as a servant, not a lawgiver, uh, or primarily a savior, not a teacher, primarily. Uh, in this case, again, a servant, uh, not a rule giver. Uh, it's, it's, and Christians love to blend those things. I, I'm telling you, um, if, if you ever blended them before, I have good news for you. The Bible doesn't. They're not blended. And so Jesus came as a servant wholesale, even though he was the Lord of all, a master. And so like in John 5 here, I put this up here, uh, one of the many places Jesus gets at this idea. He says, my father, speaking of God the Father, is working, and so am I. Jesus came to work. And remember, this is right alongside Jesus saying things like, I want you to rest. So it's not like he's saying, I came to work and he's looking at us saying, oh my gosh, having contempt for us saying, why aren't you working? You know, the Pharisees did that. Remember that when they say, why aren't your disciples fasting? Uh, Jesus never did that stuff. You know, Jesus' posture towards you is not, why aren't you doing more? His posture all the way throughout the gospel accounts is, you rest, I work. You sit and listen, I will speak and encourage you. I will cleanse you, I'll wash your feet, I'll do the hard work, the dirty work. The ultimate manifestation of that is, again, the cross. Everything before the cross is forward-looking. They're not islands. They're not instances that are true un unto themselves. They're all forward-looking. Mark 10, also, Jesus says, I came not to be served, but to serve. How? By giving my life as a ransom for many, as a payment. Jesus' death was a payment. It, it paid off the debt that you have before God. He is, this is classic substitutionary language. That is the core of the gospel is substitution. It's love 
that presents as substitution. Love that, pre- so like when we sang before in that song about oh how he loves us, that, that is good, but in one sense, not great. I mean, the song's great, but I mean, just like the, the lyrics are vague, right? Because as Christians, we don't just talk about how God loves, that that God loves us, we talk about how. It's not enough to say God loves you. It's, it's we have to, it's better and more sufficient to say this is how he did by giving up his one and only son's life. That's how he showed us. That's how he forgave by being just at the same time. And um, I'm taking a huge bunny trail here, but, but that's important to say. Love is not vague for Christians. It shouldn't be. We don't talk about general love, even though we do, and that's good sometimes. We talk more about specific love. This is how he loved us. This is how he served us. So this idea, then back to today's passage, this idea might be true, especially when you work for someone you don't like at all, which never happens, right? <laughs> Ever in life. But if you have someone that you work for and you're like, I don't know if I like this person, um, well, get in line, right? Uh, but, but at the same time, this is an opportunity for the gospel on a higher level because when Jesus died for you, he did like and love you, but he died while you were still sinning. Not when you were lovable. Not when I was lovable. And so when we come underneath and work for someone, a Christian or not, like, and, and especially when they're kind of an enemy, it's an opportunity here. Um, and again, it's not always that simple, I realize. Life's complex, but it is clearly what I think. The, the calling is not just a rule. It's an opportunity for the, for the gospel. Okay, so now flipping, flipping a little bit to the second piece, the second verse is, what if you have a Christian boss? And everything we just said remains true in this circumstance, of course, because all the same language can be used, all the same imagery can be employed, but something else is added, uh, and that is an emphasis on love towards the Christian boss, the emphasis on love towards the other believer who might even be a brother or sister in your church, or if they're not, they go to a different church, that's great, but you're in the same family. Paul's basically saying, if that's true, serve all the better. <laughs> not like it's an excuse to just dial it in when you don't have a, a Christian boss. He's not clearly not saying that either, right? But he's just saying that should actually make you think more about working with a good work ethic and working well because they're beloved, they're believers. Um, and I actually want to point at that word for a second, the, the word beloved. Um, this is a little bit of a bunny trail, but uh, sometimes... When you guys, if some of you are new to the Bible, but what, when you read a passage of Scripture, there is a subject matter of some kind, like there is today, right? But, but then you're, like, you're reading, and then you, you come across a term or an idea uh, that you put your finger on, and you say, you know, man, that is, like, distractingly good. You know, and it's not even like when I read this this week, I thought, all of a sudden, I'm, like, not even thinking about you know, master and bond servant anymore. I'm just thinking about this idea of really, like, Christians are the beloved of God. Like, what an endearing, intimate term, you know, that is. And, and that is, um, I don't know if you guys got caught up on that or not. I read it quick before. I just want to stop here, though, and encourage you guys. If you're a Christian, um, understand that you are the beloved. Like, you are loved. You are the bride of Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter what you did this morning, last week, if you had sinned or not bad week, good week, uh, full of anxiety or not, full of d- feelings of distance from God or not, um, doing this passage well or not, doesn't matter. Still the beloved, because you're, 
your status is not, not dictated on how well you obey God. It's just not. And I, if, if that's something you've not, if you've heard the opposite, it's just not true. That opposite is not true. Nothing you do, nothing, it's not, it's not bent on your obedience. That word is just gets thrown out so much sometimes uh, as though it's like necessary to stay in the faith. It is not. Not that's a free will to, oh great, I can just have my cake and eat it too here. That's not true either. That's another sermon. But just to say it's not bent on you. A grace is one-way love, not two-way. Um, you are the beloved. God loves you. He died for you. Um, and it's not bent based on anything you've ever done or will abstain from or will understand perfectly. And I hope that wells up. There might be a little bit of offense to that for some of you who think you're a really good person. Uh, but if you don't, I hope that wells up some grace and it makes you feel at peace. That's, that's kind of the whole point. He went to work. Right? He says for us, rest. Rest and receive from me. Okay, so there's that idea though, but here it's interesting. It talks about it in other people's terms. So I think when we understand that, it also shapes how we look at others. Like when you guys look at other Christians, do you think they are beloved? They are the beloved. Do you think they are loved by God? Do you think Christ died for that person? Do you think they, they have this infinite value and worth now because of what Christ, Christ wrote his name on their foreheads? Do you believe that's true? If you don't, start, if you don't do this, it's a lot easier to be at odds with Christians, I found. You know, like it, um, if especially if you don't get along that well, it's, it's a lot easier to think you're better. Uh, but you're not. <laughs> I'm not. We're not. Uh, we're all on the same level. Uh, and so I think what he's saying here is when you, when you look at your employer then or someone else over you if they're a Christian, think Christ died for them. Like, that's not a small deal. That's the biggest deal in the universe. That's the most important thing ever. Christ died for them. They are a son of the king or a daughter of the king. Uh, talk to yourself in those terms, and let it shape your love uh, towards them. Now, that does, now, all this doesn't, like, excuse any sin that Christian bosses commit, but it's a general truth. If you work for a Christian, um, inside or outside the church, if you're under, like, another Christian, like, be respectful, pray for them, be a good follower, so that the gospel might be embodied in love to them and others witnessing the working relationship. All right. I want to start, to, I want to spend a few minutes here. We'll start to kind of slowly uh, wrap this up. It's a shorter passage today, but I want to talk about the, how radical this is and, and countercultural uh, this is. So you don't have to raise your hand, but I mean, did you guys feel like a sense to which, man, this is not like, you know, this is not something the world is serving me on a platter necessarily, you know, or some of the words used here. It might even be kind of offensive. Um, that's okay if it was. Um, the Bible does offend. The Bible challenges what we think to be true and good and beautiful and normal. Uh, it, you know, we, we shouldn't expect that not to be the case, right? If God is who he says he is and we're not him, um, dead in our sins but becoming alive in Christ, we should expect to disagree with God sometimes, right? So I want to encourage uh, you to kind of come at this humbly. I've encouraged myself with this this week. But this is countercultural. No matter how you slice it, uh, culture says me above all. Uh, culture says, uh, marry somebody for your sake, not their sake. Uh, culture says, you are more important than people you interact with. You're just more important. It's really all about you. But this is not saying that, any of that, right? This is saying, 
It's okay to submit. It's okay to be weak. It's okay to work for someone. It's okay not to have your dream job. It's okay to lose. It's okay to not always lead or not always get our way. Those are very, very normal parts of life that are not just normal. God is in those moments because he's experienced them and it can tell his story. Does that make sense? They're not something to like apologize for or to think, man, you know, someday I'll never report to anybody and then I'll be happy or then I'll be God in my own context and blah, 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 right? Like, yeah, good luck with that, first of all. But you'll never be happy anyway, you know? Um, happiness doesn't come from climbing the mountain. It comes from coming down. And that's, that's actually another, oh my gosh, I keep starting other sermons today, but I can't take the path. But that's a whole other thing is we think we know it's going to make us happy. We just think we do, and we don't. We just don't. That's why we're miserable. It's, it's actually putting other people first in the spirit of Jesus doing that for us. That's the true, where true happiness comes from is from God, from Jesus alone. Knowing we're loved in spite of being the worst person ever. I'm the worst person ever in my own estimation. You guys don't know the half of it. <laughs> but, and, and you should think that about yourself too. Um, we're our, we're our biggest problem in life is us. It's not someone else. It's not your bad boss. You're your biggest problem. Do you believe that? If you don't, you really, really, really should. You really should. I know it's like hard to hear, and I'm not saying like that to make you feel bad about yourself. I mean, just to like position yourself in a way where you can actually accept the love of God, that he actually loves you, not based on what you do, but just because. And so you won't start comparing yourself. All right, so I'm, I, that's, I'm way off track here. I gotta go back to where, where I'm uh, intended to go, but... Um, I think that, so to go back to this then, if you were here in chapter two when I talked about men and women being different, again, culture is androgenizes gender to hell. It just does. It's just like there is no difference, right, uh, at all. The Bible says actually there kind of is, kind of is in a big way, and it's good. It's good. And we talked about that like in marriage sort of, but mostly church polity, how the Bible, uh, the Bible says pastors should only be men, not women, and there's a reason for that symbolically. Uh, not because men are better, but because they tell a story with their gender in being leaders and being uh, bullet takers and all this stuff. So I'm giving you like, that was 10 seconds of a 45-minute sermon, so I realize that's a can of worms for some of you, but it's on, the, it's on our website if you want to listen to it. As I was saying then, though, with how there's difference in diversity in gender, diversity in gender, they're not the same, and that's good, and how, in that context, Paul tells a proper story in the marriage and in church polity. I think in the same way Paul's doing that here. He's not abolishing hierarchy or social structure. He's not calling out the masters for being in a position of privilege. Uh, the Bible's not against privilege. It might be against, like, you know... Um, bad forms of it, right, or something like that, and Christians might speak against those things because they might be harmful, of course. But Paul is not um, abolishing social structure. He's not calling out the masters for being in a position of power. What he is doing is he's acknowledging the structure and desiring that the right gospel story be told by the Christians from within it. That it be essentially taken advantage of for the sake of the teaching or the gospel. Take advantage of the fact that there's hierarchy in this world. 
utilize it to glorify God and tell a story of the one high one who became low for us. Tell that story. Subvert it, Christians. Be a spy within it and share the gospel with people in your, with your words and your actions. That's what he's saying. I, I mentioned uh, in the book of Philemon before, if you know this book, if you don't bear with me for just a quick second, but in that book how Paul there similarly seems more interested in helping Philemon and his bondservant Onesimus reconcile and to love and respect each other as Christian brothers, then he is seeking to abolish the titles they have and the social structure they find themselves working within. Again, that might be really offensive to hear, but it's just the reality. This is God's will. This is his word. This is how it like, speaks into these things rather than eliminates them. Another way to say this would be, and I'll just read this up here, we need to balance the fact that the gospel does equalize and liberate on one level us because in Christ all are equal and no one is saved by their work, so there's no ladder or pyramid or competition. We have to balance that, though, with the fact that the gospel isn't equalization or liberation in every sense of the word, physically speaking. I said that before. But this is a delicate, delicate, delicate balance. I've learned this more this past year and a half than ever in my life. Delicate balance. And words and terms really matter here. Christians need to be wise and nuanced in how we talk. It's something we stumble over a lot. Uh, But what's more important, let me say it again, what's more important for Paul than abolishing hierarchy is the gospel. And For that, I said this before too, you actually need diversity. You need hierarchy and difference because God is different from you, right? I'm guessing no one walked in the room thinking they're identical to God. If you did, let me just say you're not, but so that's out of the way. But you probably didn't, right? If God is different from you, then we need the differences in the world to tell and point to that story. If you have no differences in the world, you have no fodder to work with to put on display the differences between God and his people and his sinners and how he came down to us. So the call for leaders to come down to their followers, which is a very Christian thing, right, to say, to be humble and serve people who follow you. If you didn't have any difference with language or title or structure, you couldn't tell that story, right? So we're so quick to want to abolish that sometimes, whether it be with gender or position or just in the world, you know, uh, whether it be politics or whatever. We want to abolish things. Actually, that's not, Jesus never did that. He never wanted to abolish Rome or things like that either or people in their their jobs and certainly not gender. But he, he talks about how the gospel speaks to those things and how to live from within it. This is how we revere the teaching, going back to today's passage. This is how we revere the name of the Christian God and revere the teaching Again, this doesn't mean that we never work for, speak against sinful forms of hierarchy. Of course we do that. But we can't throw the baby out with the bathwater because in the end, Christ is in both master and bondservant. The Bible talks about him in both terms. He is the master. So when we submit to our earthly masters, leaders, and bosses, we reflect how we submit to him, to it being Jesus or God's work, 
that saves us, not ours. His nail-pierced hands, not our numb ones from trying to be a good person all our life, but his. But he is also the worker. He's the one who came to earth, made a little lower than the angels, to quote Psalm 8 as well as Hebrews 2, under the crushing weight or yoke of the law that could never be kept by God's laws, could never be kept by a human being, weighed, crushed. This is what the law does to people, crushes us, lacerates us. We can't keep it. It's a standard we can never keep. But there he bore it for us and made a New Testament through it. He labored and worked all the way to hell and back so that when we serve, when we love, and when we work, we show off his work. But again, without the contrast and without the difference between the higher and the lower, boss, employee, strong and weak, leader, follower, the list goes on, we wouldn't have the right story to tell. God, the high one, became the low one for you and me. So we might become children of God. So a couple of quick questions I mean, I always encourage you guys with is to ask yourself uh, daily even, what story are you telling in your relationships with others. And I'm going to widen out here and go beyond the workplace just for a second, but think about that too. Whether Christian or not, uh, what story are we telling uh, in how we submit, consider others better than ourselves, or the opposite, which is telling the wrong story, right? But uh, we have an opportunity with our actions, not just our words. Boss or employee, leader or follower, in both roles we have the opportunity to revere the teaching which is to say embody the gospel and uphold the principle of grace. But again, make, mo- make no mistake, guys, he is the ultimate meaning behind this passage. Uh, might not seem like it, but he, he is. He always is. Of course he is. These words exist for his sake. He wrote them. Of course he's the point and not you and me. Of course he is. Because isn't he the one who submitted to his Father's will? Didn't Jesus, Jesus the one who submitted to what his father wanted for him, which was to die on a cross for our sins? Doesn't the Bible Psalm 40 predicts it. Hebrews 10 kind of actualizes it and talks about how Jesus was submissive to his, God's, his father's will that he be crushed as a human being in our place. He's the great submitter. You and I aren't. We're bad at it. He's the great submitter. He submits to his father's will and through his submission into hell and back, That's what truly saves us. Him laying his life down for you and me. Not our ability to work well or even to keep the principles of this passage today perfectly. Instead, and never forget it, his love, his grace, and his willingness to go through that for for you and me. So let's pray. Father, thank you for this passage today. Uh, I pray for our church. God, I know we're in tons of different places. Our church, right now represented in this room, uh, Christian or not, people who have bosses or don't or who have employees or not, people who are under the authority of others in different ways, and that's, even that alone, it's gonna be very different. So I pray, God, you give us great wisdom uh, to not be crushed by these exhortations and imperatives, but to be uh, motivated, really, because you're the first one to do them. You're the first one to be a master. You're the first one to be a bondservant. You're the ultimate one to keep it on a perfect level. And so really all we're doing is uh, kind of exemplifying what you've already done. We're putting on display who you are and what you've already done 
rather than keeping rules in order to be good little Christians. It's not what this is saying. Um, protect us from that, uh, Jesus, and help us to remember you came not to be served, but to serve, to bring service, not a list of rules. Um, God, so bless our church. I pray for relationships here in the church to be mended where they're broken, uh, for forgiveness and reconciliation and mutual submission and deference to each other, uh, that we might consider each other first in the spirit of Christ who did that for us first 2,000 years ago. Uh, thank you, Jesus, for dying for us in our, in our sin. We have so much sin. Thank you for taking it all away forever through your once and only death on a cross and your triumphant resurrection. In your name we pray, amen.